Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Hey. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a... Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though and not on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection, the song is Radiation oh, Ruling the Nation. kind of a new record. Excuse very, me, I was in In a minute, time. very nice, Rob. A sly declaration of new classic status slipped into a list of old safe ones. Very pussy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Big Hairy Eyeball podcast, the podcast that your neighbors find disconcerting for some reason. I'm your host, Pete Pollock, and this week on the show, Gary Vaca. Uh, Gary is a musician, a local Chicago area guy. Uh, he's been playing for a lot of years, and I've known him for a lot of years. I do realize that uh, it probably seems like I'm uh, uh, every week I say, uh, this is a friend of mine, and uh, it's often true. Um, I have been interviewing a lot of friends of mine. I am looking to expand outside my friend circle into, uh, you know, acquaintances and uh, perhaps eventually even enemies. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, this week it's Gary, and uh, uh, he is known uh, professionally, at least on his uh, album credits, as G Vodka. And I hope I'm not giving anything away by calling him Gary, because that's how I know him. So, uh, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, he's got the stage persona, and then he's got the Gary persona, and they're both part of him. And, uh, and uh, we had a nice conversation. Uh, you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, sometimes I talk to people, and, and Gary is one of these people that usually when I see him, we're either in a bar situation or something like that, where it's really hard to have a real conversation, or, you know, we're in a, a a kind of a group thing, you know, there's a bunch of people hanging out somewhere, you know, and we're talking and there's multiple conversations kind of bouncing around. So, you know, uh, sitting down and talking with him for an hour, uh, something that I don't get a chance to do. And uh, sometimes I forget how insightful a guy he actually is. And, uh, you know, so we talked a lot about music and things like that, but it, I, I thought he had some good observations and uh, some interesting stuff to say. So I'm going to get to that, and uh, we're, we're going to hear that in a few minutes. But uh, I do feel like I should point out um, I do have an event coming up, and it's not an artistic event that I'm participating in. It's actually a charity thing that I'm doing, and so I feel like I should plug the charity because I have the opportunity, and there are listeners, and maybe somebody's going to want to actually help out or donate or whatever. So I'm not putting the touch on anybody. It's totally up to you what you want to do. But uh, every every about every year, I didn't do it last year, but but for the last few years up until last year, and now again this year, I've been doing this thing at O'Hare Airport here in Chicago. It is uh, what is called a plane pole, and uh, it benefits the Special Olympics. So pretty good cause, pretty solid cause. I think we all feel good about the Special Olympics, and uh, it's raising money for them. So what we do basically is I put together a team of 20 people, and we go out to O'Hare on a Saturday morning and we drag a plane across the tarmac. And then, you know, we, 
you know, all these things, they're all kind of, you know, I don't know. You could donate without us dragging the plane, obviously, but it's kind of a fun thing for us to do. And it's a fun idea to think that people are going to do, and it's a way to promote the Special Olympics. So um, usually it's, uh, I think, UPS and United um, have generally, and I think it's like a 737 or something. So it's a big plane. You know, I mean, this isn't like uh, pulling a Cessna or something like that. It's 20 people, and I, it weighs like, I don't know, what do they say, like 80 tons or something. But it turns out that you can actually do it if you just put your back into it and, you know, get it moving. It, it, it moves. <laughs> it's, it's kind of astounding that it actually uh, moves as well as it does. Um, it, it, uh, it's in theory a contest, and uh, we never win. Because, you know, there's like fire departments that go out there and there's like 20, you know, brawny dudes and, and we're not that. So, you know, we're not going to win. But, but you know, we go out and we have the fun. Uh, the, the plane poll is on September 28th. And uh, if you want to join the team and you don't know me, I'm going to ask you to send me a note through the website. And that's uh, BigHairyEyeball.com. If that's not where you're getting this, that's where... That's the central source for everything, BigHairyEyeball.com. So you can go there and click on the link at the top of the page that says Puny Humans. Okay, And uh, so we will be looking for people to participate. I've got about half a dozen people, I think, so far. and uh, and But also we'll be looking for people to donate. Or if you want to put your own team together and have nothing to do with us, that's totally cool too. Although I would say if you want to join my team or if you want to uh, put your own team together and you got the idea from me, it'd be cool if you just sent me a note because I'd love to know that you know we're kind of spreading the word. So you know, either way, um, just because I may have other people that want to join the team and I want to control a little bit, nothing against you. I don't even know who you are. But, uh, or maybe I do, but I don't know as I'm saying this who you are. Um, so there's a good chance I'd probably just have you on the team anyway, but I, I want to, you know, I just want to not like eliminate good friends of mine if people are thinking of signing up. So I just want to get that worked out. Anyway, I'm, got, I'm probably going to announce this a few more times between now and September 28th. I'll try not to belabor the point, but it is for the Special Olympics and there's a link on the page and you can also, uh, if you, if you go to Big Harry I ball.com click the puny humans link at the top of the page that will tell you what you need to know and it'll have links to where you want to go and learn about this stuff if you want to sign up your own team or donate to ours or whatever and uh, you can also go if you just want to donate i set up a, a tiny url if you know what that is just type in uh, tinyurl.com slash puny humans p-u-n-y-h-u-m-a-n-s so it's that simple. Um, anyway, for the Special Olympics, totally good cause. And if you want to help out, please do. And if you don't want to, that's cool too. A lot of good causes in the world. This is just one of them. But I'm putting it out there for you in case you're interested. Okay, uh, that's what I had to say before the show. And uh, I will meet you on the other end. Here's my interview with Gary Vodka. Gary Vodka, G Vodka, Gary Vodka, my friend. So I wanted to talk a little bit, uh, we're already recording. So. I figured. Okay. I saw you yeah. push the button. <laughs> I did, yeah. I, I don't like to give it a, a, a unnatural start. Hey, how's it going? Good morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
So I wanted to, I, I figured maybe we could just start off by talking a little bit about uh, uh, Headspins, uh, your, your current, band, current band, and then we'll work our way back through the history of Gary. The history of Gary. Yeah. Huh. So, so when, when did Headspins start, and, and how would you describe Headspins? I know how I'd describe them, but how would you describe them? I use, I say we are a punk-influenced rock band. Okay. So um, we play mostly in the punk community. Mm-hmm. We're not really a true punk band. You know, we, we're not really, we're not skate punk, like no FX. We don't play, we have fast songs, but we're more up-tempo than your average rock band. Like if you listen to a classic rock station, right. everything's mid-tempo and below. Right, um, right. I've we been play, in a bunch of those bands myself. Yeah, we play. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. It's just, no, no, no. But it gets a little you know, um, low energy after a while. To, to, sting, to swing all the way back to the beginning, I realize I didn't realize this, but it turned out the music that I liked was sort of loud rock with tempo. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so when you know I got into college and started meeting people who exposed me to punk rock. Um, I had some exposure in high school, but I ran away from it because I right. was dumb. And now that would have been the early stuff, right? I mean, that would have, like in high school, that would have been Ramon's Sex Pistols. It was Sex Pistols. Um, yeah. Danita Sparks, who uh, went on I'm gonna to. I'm going to let you get right on that microphone. Okay. Yeah. Danita Sparks, who went on to form L7, uh-huh. uh, went to Richards with me. Okay. And um, one of my better friends in high school, um, this guy Gary Ward was friends with her, mm-hmm. and they were into they were both into punk rock among various other music styles. Mm-hmm. And Danita was just scary, and so <laughs> you know for for me again for as a sixteen year old boy or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, she was a little advanced for your uh, your yeah suburban abso- situation. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, little did I know that. You know, five years later, I would be going down that rabbit hole. Right. You know, if, um, but back to Headspins. So Headspins was a, um, I went to see a Muff show with um, Gene Lyons, Lotus from Barbie Army, mm-hmm. and Russ Forrester, who played in a bunch of local bands. Um, oh, what were those? Uh, Fudge Tunnel. Um, great name for a band. It is a great name for a band. Uh, and there are others. And we all went to college together, and it played in various bands in college. Mm-hmm. Went to see the Muffs at Subterranean, and it was so good. Gene turned. What year was this about? Maybe two thousand five. Okay, all right. Just uh, in context. Gene turned to me and said, uh, "We need to start a band." <laughs> we hadn't done. We hadn't really been in bands for you know ten years, and that was it. That's that became Headspins. Right. So me, Gene, Russ, we found a drummer, um, and we went through various incarnations of lineup till around 2010, 11, mm-hmm. um, when we settled on our current lineup, uh, me, drummer Gary, and Julia. Mm-hmm. And we've pretty much been the same uh, ever since. It's kind right. of worked out well. It works out what well. Stability is the best. Right, right. So I'm just curious, how, be, would, how would you describe us? Uh, I, I, I think of you guys as, uh, I, I would call it melodic punk, I guess, which kind of fits in with what you were saying. 
Yeah, I think does, we're, we, you know, Gary. You just take issue with that? You're looking no, at no, me no, like. No, no, no. <laughs> um, the gene, the, actually, it's funny. The gene side, the gene influence of our of the band, um, Gene left the band around 2010. Mm-hmm. But her influence, she was very much into the melodic side of things. Uh-huh. And the har- and harmonies. Ironically, um, we got, I don't know how, I, don't wanna, I was going to say it in a way that sounded wrong, but. Because Julie and I have worked together now for so long, mm-hmm. we've gotten really good at harmonizing with each other. Uh-huh. And this, why this incarnation of the band can finally pull off the stuff that Gene really wanted back in in the early days. You know, right? Um, that melody, the harmonies, going all the way back to like the Ronettes. Right. We did a song. We did covered a song by the Muffs called "Baby Go Round," mm-hmm. which is a serious homage to be my baby, you know? So that's kind of... And you pulled it off, so there you go. Yeah, we did. We did yeah. it pretty well. Yeah. But it, we didn't sing as well as we do now. Right. You know, right. and when you're going to be a melodic uh, harmony band, right. if you if your harmonies are, are wonky, you know, you sound amateurish. Right, 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 right. So... Um, so yeah, so now we uh, um, we've been with the same lineup, like I said. God, it's coming on ten years now. Yeah, Holy wow. Crap. <laughs> um, it's crazy how that happens, huh? I know time does fly, but uh, we've, and you know, I think we're you know we're writing songs again, and we move so slowly. We're like you know some ice pack, you know, up in the Arctic. Songs happen. We're We've got two albums out. One came out in 13 and one came out in 2013. One came out in 2016. Right. And well, you're due. We're due. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. Right. Um, I honestly kind of stepped back from the band in 2018 mm-hmm. for personal reasons. Just mm-hmm. life, life took over. Right. And so it does that. we've done a lot less in the last 12 months. So hopefully, turn it back on, turn, right. the, turn this faucet, yeah. start the flow, so to speak. Well, sometimes when you're uh, when you step back, then that's when it starts to really, you know, then you start to notice that, it, like when you're in it, you're it's a thing you do, and it kind of almost becomes a little bit routine. And you know, like oh, I got to go rehearse, got to go do this, got to line up a gig. You yeah. know, when you're out of it for a little while or kind of step back, then it's like, oh, I really want to do that again. I do miss it. <laughs> I, I really do. But at the same time, it's a lot of work. It is. It is. You know, I don't think people realize that as much. I was just going to say that. Yeah, yeah. I used to tell a story, um, a little, back in my day, Shunny. <laughs> um, well, I played in a band called The Farmers in the late 80s, early 90s, mostly real early 90s. And... Um, Joe Shanahan, who owned the Metro, loved the farmers. So we mm-hmm. got on a lot of shows. And one of the things Metro used to do were these uh, local showcases on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. So they'd have a, a touring act come in, show would start at 7, they'd have an o- opener and a headliner, and then they'd clear the place out. Mm-hmm. And then they'd do a local showcase. And those started 11 o'clock, maybe I was going to say, what time did that start? They yeah. started very late. We were often the headliner for the local showcase. We so were the last one. We were the last man. So we'd go we'd go on at one thirty in the morning. And um the 
the thing was, they wanted to sound check everyone first. So you had oh. to get there at like four in the afternoon for a sound check. And uh, you could go home because we, you know, we live locally. Yeah. Uh, but we tended to stay. So you get there at four. I'd leave my. You want to keep that energy yeah, up. I'd if leave you my go home. You're watching TV. I'd leave whatever, my apartment yeah. at three and I'd get home at three. It was a 12-hour day. Yeah. <laughs> That's Metro is awesome. It's the best, best place I've ever played by a lot. Yeah. Now, now talk um, a little bit about that because I know that you <coughs> – excuse me. That was a place that uh, you got into. My bands never got into Metro. We got a, we got a note from Joe Shanahan one time that uh, um, kind of made fun of us because <laughs> we sent him a demo. And like, well, I guess we're not getting into Metro. Although, I, you know, I wanted to save the letter – and, you know, it's like, we're going to put out an album, we're going to include this letter in the album, you know, it's <laughs> kind of sticking it in your eye. But, uh, um, so so talk about the Metro, because that was one of the, and, and it was Cabaret Metro at one point. Yes, it was. Um, it, in those days, in those days, it was Cabaret Metro. I, yeah. I, it's funny, I, um, uh, I'm going to tangent off a little bit. I did this brief radio show bit where, because cause I know so many musicians mm-hmm. on on Facebook, I was getting invites to dozens and dozens of shows every week Mm -hmm. and so i did a a brief stint on this um now defunct radio show where i was the um i forget the forget what we called the seg what he called the segment but it was like all the local shows i'd list the venues Mm -hmm. and when i started doing it i was always calling metro i was calling it cabaret metro right because that's what just Because that's what I knew it as. And then I started, I'd look closer and I'm like, it's always the Metro. Is there a cabaret anywhere? Took, you know, it took uh, three, four weeks before I realized that they had changed their names. And they, you know, for me. That old guy on there keeps calling it Cabaret Metro. Hey, old guy, get off my lawn. <laughs> Damn kids. Um, uh, heck. Yeah. So, um, and of course, my ADD kicked in. What was the question? Something about Metro. Oh, I just said talk about it, you know, because oh. it was a place we never got into, and it was one of the top places in the city at the time for yeah. like alt rock bands or whatever. You know, I mean, oh, any, anybody who was, uh, yeah. was anybody was playing the Metro, and they did they did local shows, which was wonderful. Um, couple Metro stories. So I, I told you with the farmers in particular, um, the staff the staff loved the band. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a the, now, the guy, farmers was uh, for context. As I recall, two guitar players and a drummer, no bass. No bass. Uh, yes. I'm offended I, by that. I know you. I knew you would be. <laughs> I had I had nothing to do with the lineup. The lineup was. I think they set the lineup because they couldn't find a bass player. I think I remember reading something about that. I remember reading yeah. an interview where they said we didn't find. And then we just learned to play without it and you know change yeah. our sound. Bruce, the, I mean Bruce, the the um, the rhythm guitar player um, played. He used a huge ass two fifteen cab, played Which with is a base cabinet. That's a base. It was basically a yeah. base cabinet with I don't remember the head he used, and then he used like twelve gauge or even maybe even heavier strings, yeah, big strings, to try to get a low end into the sound, uh-huh. um, which um, you know people dug it. So yeah, yeah. Um, Actually, the farmers would draw. I mean, we could we would get five to seven hundred people at Metro, so That's it was good, yeah. it was f- wonderful. Those Especially were, if you're playing at one thirty in the morning. Yeah, well, I don't know if we got them at, the, <laughs> at those super late shows, um, but so back to 
uh, so this, like I said, the staff really liked this. Um, and I remember there was a book, the guy who booked the, who, who sifted through all the demos name was Fred. Mm -hmm. And one time we went up to Fred's office and Fred's office was maybe eight by eight square Mm -hmm. and pretty high ceilings. And it was every spare inch of wall and desk and space was covered with cassette tapes. Wow. Wow. Um, so all you didn't of, throw anything away, apparently. I don't know. I I didn't ask that question. Or he had that many coming in. He I asked that I said, Do you listen to them all? He said, I listened to every one of them. Wow. Wow. So well, maybe he wrote the letter that uh, made I, fun he, of us. He very well <laughs> he very well could have. Uh, but yeah, so I re- you realize um and that, that holds true for today too, the number of of acts out there. Yeah. And how do you differentiate yourself from the noise? It really is. You get one song, maybe half a song, be- before somebody decides if they're going to listen to the rest of the tape. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and you know, I, our impulse was always, well, you want you know, we're going to go into the recording studio. We want to record five songs. We're going to put five songs on a tape. Nobody's going to ever get to that fifth song. It just, never, you know, never happens. It's funny you say that. Um, well, I'll, I'll tangent. <laughs> no, please. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, yeah. Rock out. My our, my drummer drummer Gary um, is huge proponent of albums, full length. Me too. Album. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. There's there's definitely I I am too. Yeah. But you and I are are AARP eligible. Um, <laughs> drummer Gary is is getting close to that. Mm-hmm. We grew up. I mean, we grew up in a different time. Yeah. Now it's the everything was on a disc of some yeah. sort. Yeah. yeah, and now it's the Spotify era. And you literally, you said it. You get, you get thirty seconds of a spin. Yeah, quote unquote. Air quotes. Spin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, if they don't like you, fast forward Skip. to next. Yeah, and you know, is it, you know, doing an album and. You know, I always liked the record with the artwork, and right. you, you know, especially when they had the, um, the folded albums, and you open them up, yeah, and there yeah, was yeah. even more artwork in the middle. You know, we we did Get that. the lyric sheet, the Lyr- whole, yeah. yeah, yeah, all that stuff, absolutely. Who played on every song? Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I know people. I wasn't much into the into the weeds, and that strikes me as something you would do: is look at the producer and the engineer. Uh, sometimes um, I, I didn't. Live, you know, I didn't. I'm not one of those guys who could. You know, some people had it memorized, like sports statistics or something. I, I couldn't do that. No, I'm not saying. I'm but not I'd kind of pay attention, like, right. oh yeah, that was that was Joe Schmo on that one. Uh, he, he did this other one. And sometimes I'd use it to find another record. Like if I liked how, how it sounded or whatever, then maybe I'm going to look at the other work that that person's done. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, I've heard, I've heard a lot of people do that. I didn't go down those rabbit holes. Mm -hmm. I was, I was much more of a, of a sort of follow the trend guy. I was not a trendsetter. I was a, I was a trend follower. I'm not not laying any claim to any trend setting myself either. but. But the, um, yeah, so we've had internal band debates, long, arduous mm-hmm. band debates, and usually, and to date, Gary has worn us, worn Julia and I out to uh, with, his, with his determination to do a full length. Um, so the question is, sort of the overriding question is, in this day of of 
you know, short attention span mm-hmm. and 30 seconds to get your song to pop and whatever. Is it, is it make more sense to put out more smaller releases, you know, seven inch single there, you know, with the vinyl revolution. Right. Um, is it make more sense to do, you know, seven inch with a couple of songs or maybe, you know, 33 RPM, seven inch where you might get four songs on it. Right. If they're short enough. Um, but anyway, it's the endless debate within our band. Right. Um, how to go with it. And, and as I said, Gary, Gary is super adamant that it should be an LP. Stick with it, Gary. I'm with you. Um, no, I, I, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, you know, but, but I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second just to carry this further. I mean, do you think it hurts to do the album? Because I understand what you're saying, that, that you know, Kids these days, uh, they may just want like one song or two songs. But you guys are on Bandcamp. I know that, bandcamp.com. Yep. And uh, you can check that out. Headspins is the band. Headspinsrock.bandcamp.com. Headspins.com. <laughs> right. Um, so, I mean, you guys are there. And if somebody wants one song, they can buy one song. Absolutely. They can just say, I'm, t- I'm paying 99 cents or whatever it costs and get one song. Or they can get the whole thing. So does it hurt, do you feel? Or do you, or are you just saying that it's better to like space it out? Like here's a thing, and then six months later, here's another thing. That's ex- that's my position. Okay. I think as um, you know, the glacial speed at which headspins moves mm-hmm. means that we don't get a, we don't get anything new out there um, in any real in any reasonable amount of time. Right. So you know, you get a couple of songs together. You you record them. You put out a seven inch. You get. You know, maybe you get six songs together, you put out even a digital EP. Right. Um, that's it's six and one half a dozen of another. Right. But I think to, you know, to keep yourself relevant, playing bar shows, you know, so you become friends with a lot of band people. Mm-hmm. But let's be honest, there there's a very small core group of music fans who go to a handful of venues right. the venues we play liars club live wire um sylvie's most tavern uh-huh. um what else reggie's yeah things like that there's a set of people who will go to a venue i don't want to leave out brower house which is actually my favorite i, I was gonna say that, i'm like well maybe maybe you're not playing there anymore. I, um, I don't know <laughs> the um that's I, I've I've seen you guys there more than anywhere else. I think I think we've played there more than anywhere else. Okay, yeah. Um, you played with us there, which is a I story did. we could get into. Um, <laughs> Julia's Julia's wrist injury, broken wrist. Right, right. Um, but yeah, it was fun to do. It was awesome. Yeah, you were great. Well, thank just you. Just to just I wasn't looking for a compliment. No, you was, I, you. It weren't. was fun. It was a different kind of music than what I normally do. So it was a lot of fun to you know stretch out and you know you guys have a. We got nice, no solid we got, jam going. We know. got a lot of compl- we got a lot of compliments uh, about your playing. So we had you and my friend Aaron from Eighty mm-hmm. Proof Preacher were our our joint bases, substitute bases. Because <laughs> Julia was down for about six months. Yeah, well, the wrist thing that'll get you. Yeah, well, and then even when she came back, it took so she could play. She could only at, at first she could only play like two or three songs, and then her wrist would start to throb. Right. Right. So it took. I a, think the night that I played with you guys at Brower House, I think she played one song. Like I, I ducked out, and then, but that's what she was up for. And yeah, then, you know, that's yeah. right. Exactly, yeah. it's exactly right. 
And that was that. Those were those are fun shows. It was and memorable because of how different it is. You know, we've played swinging back to the the playing shows mm-hmm. and the very finite group of people that come out like i get my if you if you play a show and you get your friends and family to come out mm-hmm. and they're they're behind you but they're not fans right you know right so well I, even if i mean i would consider myself a fan you know i mean i know you guys and so i I've, I've i've gone more than i might otherwise but but i still you know i mean i i actually listen to your to your music at home mm-hmm. um but but you know i mean still you know, you can't make it to every show. So no, right, right, that, right. that was always my thing too. When you're playing in a band, you know, it, I, I would see bands that would play once every six months and they'd pack the crap out of the place because everybody they know shows up for that one gig. But if you're playing two, three times a month or something like that, people aren't coming out like that. You know, nobody does that. Right. So you've got to build a, a audience somewhere. You know? Yeah. And how do you do that? That's like the million dollar question. Do you play? Do you weekend warrior it to, mm-hmm. you know, six, with, you know, six hour drives to, you know, Indianapolis or Rockford. Iowa City yeah. or Rockford or whatever. There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of towns, but um, I see bands that tour relentlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know. Does it get you that national following? I think I don't. I don't know. Um, so that's I have a few theories on that, but we don't need to get yeah. into that now. I go, yeah. I go down. I go down the road to this is this is a super fun hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a day job. That's mm-hmm. what pays the bills. I have a new house, so I better keep paying the damn bills. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> um, and you know, I put as much energy into it as I have the the energy to spare. Right, right. Um, that has, like I said, that's been less lately. We've played a couple of shows in 2019. Mm-hmm. I don't think we played. I don't think we played a show in the second half of 2018. I think we had a. Um, we do drummer Gary and I. Gary's a really good guitar player, mm-hmm. and so we will go up and do headspins acoustic, or as I like mm-hmm. to call it, G and G Music Factory. Okay, yeah. Um, and it's. Uh, interpretations of our songs some of the songs are exactly the same some of them are um more interpretive mm-hmm. we have a song on our first album called star of the show mm-hmm. which is an up-tempo poppy punk rocky kind of song when you slow it down and you put a few um of the, like the stone suspensions in there it mm-hmm. becomes kind of a stonesy oh, that's cool. you know honky-tonk woman kind of vibe right from the punk vibe so that's that's always fun to do and then you know i the other fun thing to do is when headspins in the early days was a four piece Mm -hmm. and when we went into the studio to do the first album we had one of our members quit and so we recorded it as a three piece Mm -hmm. after we finished recording we brought in an extra guitar another guitar player Mm -hmm. because a lot of the songs were written with two guitar parts Mm -hmm. and we played three, four shows with this guy. Um, and they were all disasters. Mm -hmm. Not, he was a good guitar player. He was Mm -hmm. a good dude. Um, it didn't fit. Yeah. And then sometimes that happens. Then he quit and we played 
we played a sh- we played a couple shows with just that we had on the calendar. We just played them as a three piece, mm-hmm. and it was so much better. Yeah, like okay, it ain't broke. Let's not fix it. So right. we just we just kind of kept going. I still I'd like that. I would love to have a second guitar because I have guitar parts in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, guitar one plays this, guitar two plays that. Right, right, right. Or the other thing is they get a third voice on right. some songs. There's a song we have called My Way or the Highway mm-hmm. on our first album. And that song screams for a third voice. <laughs> uh, and so we'll play it from time to time. But I always feel like we're cheating, we're cheating the audience because we don't have... We don't have that third voice because right. it sounds so much better with You it. can hear it in your head, yeah. Yes. So. But it's tough. And, and I, I mentioned this in one of the other podcasts. You know, I mean, it, it really is like a, like a marriage. You know, I mean, you're trying to find somebody who works with you musically and you're also trying to find somebody who you can kind of put up with. Yeah. You know, because you got to deal with them all the time. So, you know, hope, hopefully you like each other, but it, yeah. at, at minimum, you got to tolerate each other. Yeah. Um, we're, I'm very fortunate. Um, Julia is the most easygoing, chill person. Mm-hmm. If she had, she will, she will, if she has something that's really important to her, um, you know, put her foot down. But for the mm-hmm. most part, she goes along with, with, with the flow. She's very easygoing. Um, Gary and I are raging egomaniacs. <laughs> so we're, you know, we're constantly butting heads. Um, and sometimes like with the album thing, mm-hmm. you know, you have Julia, Julia was basically on my side. So when we put together Burn That Bridge, the second album, mm-hmm. I wanted to do it in two six song EPs. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to do, or uh, Gary wanted to do it in an album. Mm-hmm. And Julia would have sided with me, but Gary was so adamant and insistent that <laughs> he beat me down. And I said, I said, all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, but you know, we have a, we have like any brother, sister, whatever mm-hmm. family relationship, there are, there are tensions. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the, one of the advantages of being, older mm-hmm. is that we're not none of us are super hot-headed right i right. julia we you have start a huge, to realize things don't matter so much sometimes yeah. you know some well, stuff and, yeah and i just don't have the energy to fight right <laughs> um and you know we have a huge age gap we, I, we were ta- we were talking about this because gary just turned 45 mm-hmm. and i'm turning 55 this year mm-hmm. and <laughs> julia's Maybe he's, I don't know. And Julia's 35. Okay. Yeah. So it's a pretty big, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm a little off. Gary's somewhere closer to Julia, but we'll say 45. Okay. Yeah. Roughly. Roughly 10, 10, 10. It sounds better. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think we're just, I'm to, if, if I had to go back to, so one of my college bands was, uh, we're called Fang Beach. We're Mm -hmm. 60s garage influence. Mm Mm-hmm band we had the farfisa organ absolutely and uh we had oliver steck who's best musician i've ever played with mm-hmm. dude could play anything and he so he sang he played farfisa he played harmonica uh was a great showman um but we had one particular guitar player um who unfortunately had some psychological issues mm-hmm. 
oh man, was that high maintenance. Yeah, yeah. And at this point in my life, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I just, I would boot him, quit, whatever. It yeah, just, that's it, it. it. Just, I couldn't do it. Yeah. And he was a fabulous player. Yeah. Just such a great, and um, honestly, the thing with uh, guitar players is at this point, there's so many people who can play the instrument well. They have mm. the the technique, you know, they can play any note. But to to be able to play tastefully, yeah, right, play the right note for the right spot. Right. That that's a gift. I think that's always been the the key. You know, I mean you you there's a lot of people who have technical skill, but you know, I, I use Ringo Starr as my uh, mm-hmm. my example of that because you know we when I when we were kids, you know, people made fun of Ringo's. Uh, you know, there's so many people in the <laughs> yeah. in the seventies who were like phenomenal drummers, and and then you know you listen to an old Beatles song, and you go, but but when you put it in perspective, it's like this guy's playing the right stuff for the right song at the right time, and and that's a skill. Like it's not he's not flashy, but he's it's perfect for it fits the song perfectly. You know. Yeah, I, I, that's a skill that I, not that, everybody has. That's true, and I, I'm, in you know, you talk about the '70s in particular, the age of you know John Bonham's playing, Neil right. Peart's playing, Keith yeah. Moon yeah. is double playing. kick drums, yeah. and you know, like twelve toms, and you know, yeah, a gong, but, and yeah, um, you know. The Who made it work in in their earliest incarnations, and I mean, um, interestingly enough. Uh, Bonham was really flashy, but in a very subtle way. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd do, he had this, you know, he used a single kick and he would, he could do that, that, uh, you know, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. What, what, like triple and quadruple hits on the kick that, you know, um, that's art. Yeah. yeah. To me. <laughs> and it, he never, but he never over, Came overwhelmed the band. Right. Then you have somebody like Neil Peart from Rush, mm-hmm. who, because they were much more of a um, a prog rock kind of band, right? It it called for the flashiness and the technicalness, and right. and then as a budding young drummer, that kit with the double kick and like eight hundred toms, seventy five cymbals, yeah. gongs. Um, what do they call it? the? Oh God. My percussion acumen is gone. <laughs> the the wooden because you mar- started as a drummer, I so did, just yeah, yeah, just just to point that out. Yeah. I mean, anyway, go ahead. Um, what is that? The you play with the mallets on the wooden the, the different sized wooden things like a marimba, marimba. Thank yeah, you. yeah, That's yeah. The word. I, sure. Yeah. You know, he had all that stuff on the stage, yeah. and I just sat there with my jaw watching them. I I went to I think I saw them four times um, in the high school. Yeah, I guess they were all high school. Um, once at the Hori- Rosemont Horizon, three times at the amphitheater, mm-hmm. and just mind blowing to me, yeah. you know. And you know, those were the days. You know, I th- I'm assuming that it was like Ginger Baker or John Bonham or somebody who implemented the drum solo. You know, right. you play, like Moby Dick has the you know right, right. Like the, the, the 20 minute drum solo. Yeah, with the hand playing with the hands yeah. and everything else. Yeah. Yeah, and talk about but talk about differentiation, right? Yeah, we'll swing back to that thought. Um, Neil Peart's drum solos were, for me, the highlight of the show. You know, right? Um, and everything was was just 
perfect. And for my, you know, high school budding young drummer eyes, yeah, I was just in heaven. Right. Well, that's, you know, I mean, especially at that age, you're just looking and you're going, well, who's phenomenal? Who just blows my mind? You know? Yeah. And then, uh, then you, then you expand your horizons. You go, well, that fits that thing, but is that what I want to do? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I learned. I mean, I learned to play drums in high school marching band. But when I bought, oh, I didn't f- know you were in the marching. band. I was in the marching band. Okay. Yeah, beginning well, band. See, I knew we were going to get some skeletons out of closet. <laughs> well, I too was in the marching band, so I'm not. I'm not being hypocritical. Oh no, yet. no. Yeah. I, I, I believe that every kid should play a musical instrument. At least get exposed to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, any I, I would I will even say having um, I have a 22 year old daughter who mm-hmm. went through the entire school system, mm-hmm. and in middle school, th- she was in band and choir. Mm-hmm. And while they are different uh, paths, mm-hmm. I think the voice is as much an instrument as you know a flute or a trombone or oh absolutely or yeah. a dr- or percussion or whatever, and needs to be trained and mm-hmm. worked as such. And so I've I've got when I say the play an instrument, I would include um singing. Voice, yeah. Just to you know, get exposure to um music because it I mean I've I've sort of been hooked on music since to see what were those old KTEL. KTEL oh, yeah, presents yeah. hooked on music. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've been, I've been. Some hooked. of them didn't even have the original bands playing on it. They just licensed the the song. Oh, really? They, yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of them, yeah. Some of them were sound alike. So I, later, I think they got <laughs> they 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 started to have enough cachet to you know. All right, we'll put the song on there. But I never, I never bought those. I, I think I had one. I think I had a Southern Rock one that I, I, I had like a Molly Hatchet song on it and uh, flirting with disaster. Yeah, yeah, it's probably day. that. I don't even know. I think I that's that the song. only KTEL album I ever had. The Loop FM ninety eight man. Yeah, uh, yeah, brought brought music to my life. Steve Dahl and music. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So playing in marching band, I got. I was, you know, obviously I started, but then uh, so in my early days when I didn't know how to play a set, mm-hmm. I put on. Side one of British Steel, which st- or was it side two? Whichever one started with "Living After Midnight." Okay, Judas Priest. I, yes, yep. um, and the I played along with that album cover, the yeah. Razor Blade album cover. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's a great rock album. It it's is been a while since I listened to it. I'll have to go back and check it out. I think I've got the disc. In there. There's one or two. There's one or two dogs on that, but um, for like anthemic rock music, right? It is. And something that works in a stadium. Yes. Yeah. And they, um, ironically, I um, I mentioned one of the things that I realized that I liked about up-tempo music mm-hmm. was um, two bands I was really into in high school were Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. And Judas Priest had, had, was primarily like mid-tempo stuff, but they mm-hmm. had um, some quicker tunes, which I really liked. And Iron Maiden was mostly faster stuff with right. those intricate intricate bass and guitar riffs. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of my, you know, going from country music, which is what my dad played in the car, mm-hmm. to Kiss, which I discovered in Boy Scouts from, right. <laughs> from, a, from a friend, to my discovery of Judas Priest was actually my first concert was Kiss and Judas Priest. Wow! At the International Amphitheater, Judas yeah. Priest was the opener, which is now a parking lot. Yes, 
Um, thank God it was a dump. Um, <laughs> they say they'd scrape up the cow manure off the floor before <laughs> the concerts, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Most yeah. of it, anyway. Today, Saturday night, it's Kiss and Judas Priest. Next yeah. week, Ringling Brothers, Barman Bailey Circus. Yeah, yeah, and they do the dog shows there, too, I remember. I missed, a, missed dog shows. Yeah, so. my parents dragged me to a dog show there. We used to go, well... You it know, was next to the stockyards for people who didn't yeah. grow up in Chicago. Yes. So it was like where they'd show off the cows during the <laughs> week, you know. Yeah, it was, I mean. They had the Rolling Stones there on the weekend or whatever, yeah. yeah. Did they ever play there? I, I didn't. They see. did, actually, because Dennis, I think, talked about the fact okay. that he went to see the Rolling Stones uh, play in the yeah, amphitheater. In like a 68 or some, yeah. 70, something like that. Yeah. But you know what? Heyday. I go to, who? Um, a funny story about Kiss, I... I saw Kiss, like I said, in 79, mm-hmm. and then um, saw them again at Summerfest mm-hmm. in Milwaukee maybe five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. And okay, okay, the show, I mean, honestly, the show is exactly the same. <laughs> it really is. It's it's the same shtick. You know, the, they, they're wearing makeup, obviously. Right, there right, was a right. stretch where they took the makeup off. Um, and wore spandex. Well, they still wear spandex. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's it's like the same show, and it's like it's almost like going to see a play. You know, the lines right, right. The, the lines are there. You know, they're, now it's like Kiss Mania. Yeah, it, it, it kind of is. Just simulate her own show from 1980. Yeah. So Ooh. I said, okay, good. I've I've got my Kiss. I've got my Kiss fulfillment. You know, bookended my right, right. my uh, music life. So I come back and my daughter says, my daughter loved Gene Simmons' Family Jewels on uh-huh. A&E. And so she said, well, when Kiss comes back to Chicago, can we go see them? Can we go see them? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Not a week later, we're driving in the car and I had the loop on and when it was still a radio station. Yeah. And said, the United Center, pres- or, you know, Jam Productions presents Kiss at the United <laughs> Center. I'm like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> We're well, going, right? <laughs> they were in Milwaukee. They're going to hit Chicago. Now, this was like, this was, this was like eight to 10 months later. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Um, but regardless, yeah. I, yeah. I, but... Yeah. So I went and the acoustic, acoustics at the United Center are horrendous. Yes, they are. It is worse than the stockyard, uh, the amphitheater. Yeah. I'm yeah. saying stockyards now. Um, <laughs> I don't remember. I saw, let's see, I saw The Who at the Rosemont Horizon. I saw I saw Rush there in 82, I think. Yeah. But then I saw The Who there in 2012. Uh-huh. By the way, really good show. Really? Really? Yeah. Zach Starkey. Yeah. Ringo, well, I know he's go, great. Swinging back to Ringo. Yeah, yeah. Ringo's kid, he is a beast. Yeah. He is. What, yeah. He is worth the price of admission. Really? Yes. I think he's really good. Townsend is still good. Um Daltry can fake it. Yeah, um, yeah. I imagine he's lost some range over yeah, the years. Yeah, he's not yeah. going to be doing Love, Rain, or Me, right? you know, the way he did it when, when it come out, 69. Yeah, whatever it is, yeah, um, yeah. He ain't, do, he ain't hitting that note anymore. Right. But, you know, it was it was an excellent show. Um, See, I kind of I lost interest, uh, you know, first Keith Moon and then Entwistle dies, and it's like, well, how much of it is The Who? But I, but I guess, you know, yeah. I mean, well, they did it is funny that they need like 10 people on stage now to, you know, simulate what they used to do with four. Well, yeah, you know? well, I think, I, I think the show I saw yeah. was uh, Quadrophenia. 
Okay, okay. So that's really one of my favorite albums. Of what theirs. they that you know, like like Tommy as well, and yeah. a lot of other bands. It is a studio album. Right. There's a lot of you know you have guitar, bass, drums, vocals. Right. Then there's a lot of layers. Then there's layers of orchestration. Yeah. And vocals and you know um uh other things you know queen infamously when they did bohemian rhapsody they would just play the the opera part they would walk off the stage right, and the right, opera right. part would play and then he'd come that's back one of my on. favorite things ever they'd, they'd literally play the record apparently because yes. <laughs> and you know what people wanted to hear it that way yeah um but they didn't want to fake it like like there's fake people behind them or whatever right, so they exactly. just walk off the stage and let it play yeah and i i i you know, if people want to hear, you know, you want to hear the 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 track, at least somebody's interpretation of it. That you can't you can't do that, right? You could with a synthesizer. Now you push one key and the whole thing plays, right? But, right. Um, but yeah, I thought, and so to back to the Who show mm-hmm. um, to get that um, to get the a representation of the album. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know. If I want to, you know, if you want to play the album, you just play the album. That's why I like when bands screw around on stage and don't play the song exactly like they play it on the record. I'm a hundred percent with you on that. And when you <clears throat> when you brought up Kiss and and how their show was the same, mm-hmm. was it the same the third time? You, you yeah, it was. It was. Uh, yeah, it was yeah, it, same thing. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's a different set list. Right, but. I remember, I remember hearing one of the, I don't remember who it was. One of the guys from Kiss was on the radio, and uh, and he was he was kind of making fun of bands that that change things around. He said that's because the band is bored and they're not giving the listener what they want. And we know that what the listeners want is the song that they have on the album exactly as it's played on the album. That's what you're going to hear when you go to a Kiss show. And I'm listening to that and I'm thinking that means I don't know to, need to go to a Kiss show because the the thing. As a fan of music, and I think you're you have this too. I want to go and I want to hear them pull something out of their ass. I want to hear something mm-hmm. weird. I want to hear them go extended or or change the song up a little bit. I like that surprise. Yeah, you will not get that at a Kiss show. Yeah, but they have the advantage of the stage show to end all stage shows. Right, right. Um, that's their differentiator, right? Their differentiator isn't their music. Right. Their differentiator is the theater around. Right. around the show which makes the performance worth seeing once right right it's like well, maybe i'll uh, have to keep that in mind um you know i got to see john kale mm-hmm. do a sort of at shuba's doing an evening with john kale john wow. kale from the velvet underground yeah and um it was really cool to be able to say uh you know to have seen him and to know that I, because I never saw Lou Reed, mm-hmm. um, but the, in that intimate, in that intimate setting, yeah, um, you know, he yeah, Shuba was small. Yeah, he talked about, and he sat. He didn't sit on the stage. He sat on the floor. In oh a, wow! In like a folding chair. Wow. So, you know, you get that. You get that intimacy with with someone. So you're like one degree removed from, you know, the Velvet Underground, which are. Hugely influenced when I discovered uh, punk rock in college. You know, mm-hmm. I got exposed to all these bands, not just the angry ones, but then the, <laughs> the but then the influential ones. Like in the biggest, in, the biggest to steal a term, the biggest influencer. Yeah, yeah. Of 
the my musician friends and the bands around the bands that were coming up was the Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that first album, that Banana album, mm-hmm. is a masterpiece. Yeah, and yeah. there isn't really a you know, there's no punk rock song on that album. They're mostly they're mostly slow. They're kind right. of dirgy. Right. But but it's stripped down. Yeah. It's got that stripped feel. Yeah. That punk rock. Yeah, that's a good. That's sells a, that. That's that's a a good observation. I hadn't thought of it in that way. I just it is for me. It's profound. Mm-hmm. You know, it very little in. I'm I am in when I consume music i'm Mm -hmm. there to be entertained right right right. i um i don't listen i don't really even listen to lyrics for very much Mm -hmm. i want the song to wash over me and to entertain me right to take me to a place um and that album does that front to back and then you know as as i've listened to it a thousand times mm-hmm. you start to realize the debauchery that's behind <laughs> the lyrics you know uh venus and furs mm-hmm. shiny shiny boots of leather right whiplash right. girl child in the dark <laughs> and then heroin um yeah. you know it's all it's all some weird um i don't even know what the word is it's it's just a it's a it's a snapshot. I I think this is my personal yeah, opinion. Yeah. It's a snapshot of that sort of drug counterculture mm-hmm. New York world. I was going to say New York. That really, that, I it, mean, that yeah. that summarized a lot of it, right yeah. there. And I think I don't actually know a lot about the history. I think Andy Warhol put that band together, sort of pulled it. Yeah, he was involved somehow. I don't know yeah. exactly what. So, the, uh, but anyway, that that strongly influenced my friends and the, and therefore me mm-hmm. um, but then you know i have i have other friends who are folkies mm-hmm. who got who came you know you come in there's a whole branch of punk rock just called folk punk really um i have not explored where that you that have um davy dynamite uh-huh. excellent okay um writes really good songs um and um but you know they've got that anger that that you that one you know someone who's not deep in the scene see you know when you think punk rock right you think angry you think you know um small studded leather wristbands not like judas priest up to your elbow but the ones that only go like an inch or two yeah and a couple of guys people are looking to piss off their neighbors yeah a couple of kids skanking in the mosh pit and stuff like that and there's it's always got this veneer of anger Mm -hmm. but um you have that with the folk punk. You they play generally you play acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very tends to be like the folk music of the '60s tends to be very socially conscious. Mm-hmm. And but then it's um, it's very much got a punk sensibility to it. And right. so yeah, if you're listening, check out Davy Dynamite. I'm sure he's on Bandcamp. Yeah. Um, that's I've got I a couple of I got a couple of his albums and discs. Just right. to be discs, yeah. yeah. I have I have the CDs and they're they're excellent. But yeah, there's a whole folk punk scene. Punk is one of those uh, genres that's been subdivided and subdivided and subdivided. Right. To to you know you can hear two songs and everybody say oh yeah that's punk rock oh yeah that's punk rock and there's 
there's not a lick of similarity. Maybe they play the same instruments. Right. But other than that, there's not a lick of similarity. I mean, Ska's considered punk. Yeah. You know, um, well, I mean, rock as rock music as a term is kind of like meaningless. I mean, really, when you think about it, <clears throat> I mean, what is? How do you fit Pink Floyd and and Creedence Clearwater Revival in the same yeah. <laughs> genre? I mean, it's really yeah. So, punk it's, has just kind of picked up that and been subdivided itself. I yeah, think. I think. Yeah, <clears throat> I think at the end of the day, I don't worry about what the label is on it. If I like it, I like it. If I don't, I don't. Right, right. You know, and, you know, for me now, um, I don't, the modern music, modern pop music, Mm -hmm. just, you know, it's fingernails on a blackboard as far as I'm concerned. Um, The only time I hear it is at the gym. Yeah, yeah. Um, And... You're talking about the programmed... uh, um, Often uh, vocal uh, auto tune, auto tuned, yeah, yeah, that that, yeah. And which so, I still can't believe that's a thing. I'm I'm not trying to make fun of anybody's music. If you like it, you like it. Oh but, no, I'll make but, fun of it. Well, well, that's fine. I'm trying to be, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to be nice. I, I have friends who listen. To it, but how is auto tune still a thing? It's like, like you know, there was this sound in the '70s where people would do this telephone sound in the song. Oh yeah, and it's like if every song had that. After 10 years, wouldn't you be like, I'm really tired of that now? <laughs> but but auto-tune still kind of pops up. I, I'll push back on that a little bit, right? If you like, if you look, well, auto-tune came back. It came from across, it came from somewhere, either either South, you know, Asia or Europe. Oh, okay. It became like the club. Like a K-pop the, kind of a thing? Yeah. yeah. I, I, and I don't, I don't know the details. It's, yeah. it's not something I'm interested, so I've never researched it. Yeah. But it... Like turning the auto tune up, so you get that that right, whole right, right. that whole weird sound. Because it was became, originally designed to just like if if a note needed nudging, like somebody right. went a little flat and you can move yeah. it up a little bit and save the take. Yeah. And then they cranked it so it locks it into right. this weird sound effect. So like I mean, there's a lot. Like you know, you look at um, Brian Eno, like uh, in the era with uh, David Bowie Low or. Right. Uh, even Heroes, mm-hmm. by the way, tangentially, Heroes is top five song for me of all time. That is a great But song. anyway, yeah. um, you know, Eno was involved, I think Eno was involved in both those albums. Mm-hmm. And there's, whole, you know, he was really into experimental sounds. Mm-hmm. And so you get, you get all these, ex- any, anything that makes a sound will eventually end up in a song. Absolutely. I believe. Yeah. And if enough people gravitate towards it, I mean, I was, I don't do nightclubs. Mm-hmm. I, I don't dance. I'm a white boy. I don't. <laughs> white boy can't dance. Right. Um, and I don't, I don't like going to nightclubs. It's, mm-hmm. it's just not my scene and the yeah. music there isn't my scene. But clearly there is, there is a market for it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there. DJ now you're being nice. No, I, <laughs> I just I, I think it's I think, but I think ninety percent of punk rock is garbage too. Yeah, well, you know, you know so probably true. I, of any- um, what I used to you know when I used to listen to the radio, what I'd hear on the radio, I think ninety percent of it is garbage. Mm-hmm. So, but but man, when you get some when something hits you in the stomach, you know, you're yeah. listening to a song you've never heard before. Um, I had, I had 
Sirius XM in my car for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, what the hell's the name of that song? A song by Anti Flag came on the punk station, mm-hmm. and I I'd, I'd never heard of them. This is this goes back. This is ten years ago, mm-hmm. maybe more. A song by Anti Flag came on, and oh my god, it was so amazing. Yeah, I went yeah. out and bought it immediately. <clears throat> yep, and honestly, that they're all, they're all right, but that band, except for that song. <laughs> I listen to other stuff. It's fine. It, yeah. It, it's didn't it's, catch you the same it, way. It didn't catch me the same way, but man, um, God, it's going to drive me insane what the name of that song is. I keep thinking of Kids in America, you know, that uh, Kim Wilde was her yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something, uh, Bright Lights, Bright Lights of America, maybe. Okay. Um, I'm gonna play I don't that. know the song. I'm going to play that on the way home. Yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Um, you're going to send me a text while you're driving. I know. Um, no, I was at the gas station, actually. Oh, okay. All right, good. Because I needed gas. I couldn't get it all the way here to the south side, heading back to the south side. Yeah, yeah. South side Land of Chicago. Land of your youth. Land of my youth. Yeah. The two youths. Um, but yeah, when it, when it when a song hits you in a way yeah. that, um, and doesn't, you know, I'll be, you know, I'm old, I'm an old dude now. I don't go out. I used to, when I was in college... There were two record stores, Wax Tracks mm-hmm. up on Lincoln. Yep, legendary. And then, what the vintage vinyl in Evanston? Okay, yeah, I two. remember them. Yeah, and I would go. It was, it was a full day. I would leave. I went to I went to college at University of Chicago in Hyde Park. Yep, and so we would leave. So that's south side. We would leave the south side. Yep, and head up to up to Lincoln Park and go to Wax Tracks, and it mm-hmm. was, it was the destination. Yeah, you know. Wasn't going to the show. Wasn't going to whatever. The destination was the record store. Right, right. Yep. I went through every single record in the place. Wow. Every when I went, and that's every a place time, that had a lot of records. They had a lot yeah. of records. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of times you just bought it because of the album art. Yeah. You know, this looks interesting. Um, mm-hmm. You could kind of tell. You know, you could kind of tell looking at album art. I mean, there was a a salesmanship aspect to it. And you could look right. at an album and go, this is probably more proggy. This is more punky. You yeah. know, you, you, you could yeah. get and a vibe so, off yeah. of it. Yeah. And occasionally you'd, you'd hear about something and it's like, you'd see if, you'd go up and see if Wax Tracks had it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Those well, just the- walking in and hearing, sometimes they'd be playing music. And mm-hmm. I mean, I bought, I remember buying things because I heard it, like they had it on the sound system. I'm like, what? What is this? And they're like, oh, this is the new something or other. Album. Yeah, ironically, really, not I- not ironically, but that's how I discovered Ministry. Oh, really? Was, okay. Yeah, at, they were at wax, wax tracks. Wax tracks yeah, I was going to say it had to be a wax Because I, I, so my first club show playing at a club was at a place called the Igloo up on Broadway, Long mm-hmm. Gone. Yeah, I don't even um, remember that one. It was. My my band that the '60s garage band Fang Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, it was us. It was a uh, Urge a very early incarnation of Urge Overkill. Wow, yeah. And a band called Pile of Cows. Mm-hmm. And great name. It's, it's a great name. <laughs> we should have uh, my other co- one of my other college bands, Bald Cow, should have played Pile of Cows right. and <laughs> Bald, Bald Cow, <laughs> a bovine fest. Yeah. We will play bovine fest. Yeah. Um, and pi- Pile of Cows was um, what I, the term I heard was industrial noise band. 
Mm-hmm. So their music, their instrumentation included a bass with a single string. Wow. Um, a big wooden box with a heavy metal chain. So like the bass would hit a note. Uh huh. And then the somebody would pick up the chain and drop it into the box. <laughs> Boom. I want to see what this r- looks like written out on a page. <laughs> In tab or uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah any, anything, anything, <laughs> even just a chord chart. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I I just remember that. And so when Ministry came to my attention, they were an industrial band. Yeah. And so I thought, boxes of chains and mm-hmm. single string bass. I had no idea. They were much closer to, they were like, to my, I always thought of them as dance metal. Yeah, 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 I'd, you know? I'd go with that. And uh, so that's kind of, you know, the dancey part, not so much, but the metal part really appeals to me. I love, like, sometimes I love that just super overdriven guitar. Right, right. Uh, so, yeah, that some of those tracks, so I bought that and was, you know, not disappointed. Yeah. It still didn't push me down the dance path, but... Uh, right. <laughs> I stay more. I stay more. I stay in my lane. It's, you know, standard rock music, and yeah. with occasional, you know, um, extra two measure bars because of my Rush influence. Right, right. Um, just uh, I throwing like, things off. I like yeah. to. I like, you know, you're bopping your head. You're bopping your head. All of a sudden, something uncomfortable hits you. Yeah. You know, when you're playing a, you know, it's. Uh, well, it's tension and release. That's yeah. yeah I mean, that goes back. Hundreds of years. Yeah, so release. that's the. Uh, uh, there's a lot you could do with that line. <laughs> um, but yeah, number of levels. Yeah, that uh, that's um, just. It's music, man. It's it's not it's not rocket science to right. steal a cliche. Yeah. Well, so, no, I I know how you feel because I'm you know like you say about discovering things, and I. I I posted about this on Facebook a little bit, but you know, I I, I finally dived into the Pandora world. I got a a Sonos mm-hmm. speaker, and then it's like, well, I gotta you know have something to run through it. Yeah, yeah. And and, uh, and you know, I I'll just put I'll I'll just put weird things in. Sometimes I'll just search some weird thing and see what station pops up, and I'll just let it play. And I I I almost never hit skip. Because I don't want it to be, even if I don't like the song, I don't want it to start <laughs> skewing things like finding my taste, mm-hmm. like what it thinks I'll like. Because I want it, I, I just want weird stuff to pop up sometimes. And I found this, you know, the most recently I bought a bunch of albums from a band called Beats Antique, which is like got a Middle Eastern influence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd never heard of them. I, I talked to other people and they had heard of them, but I didn't know they, who they were. And I never would have found this. So it just wasn't like putting on some weird station, just letting it play through. And I'd screenshot on my phone if something came on that I liked. So I'd go back and find it later. So, I, you know, I just have a whole collection of screenshots from Pandora, you know. Yeah. Thank you, Shazam. That's, yeah. You know, you're I, at, I've done that too. You you're know? at a You're at a bar. Yeah. And... I spend a lot of time in bars, probably too much time yeah. in bars. <laughs> um, and, you know, all of a sudden the song comes on. You know, we used to be in the day. Mm-hmm. Back in my day, Shani. Yep. Back to my old geezer voice. Uh, you had to go up to the bartender and they could usually, you know, they usually had like a stereo. Yeah. That they put a CD or tape in and you'd have to ask them, what, you, what are you playing? Yeah, yeah. You'd walk now they don't know. Now it's like, what do they call that? That uh, 
that tune in radio or whatever. Not, yeah. Uh, not tune in radio. The the ju- the jukebox that's yeah, the they, internet jukebox. It's all, just a licensed the thing. They yeah. just play and they turn it on, whatever comes up. Yeah. So, you know, you're in a crowded bar. You just Shazam, just hold up the phone. Yeah. Hopefully you come up with the tune you want. Yeah. Um, that's always, that's always nice because it's, you know, with, with the advent of, of sort of modern radio, Mm -hmm. um, there really isn't a lot of, you have to, you have to go, you have to work again to find music. Right. And I'll, I'll be honest, um, I don't have time. Yeah. Yeah. No. You know, that's why the other thing I like to do. And I haven't done it as much lately, but I'm I'm I have a sort of a personal vow to get back into it is getting out and supporting local bands yeah. again. Yeah, I used I was I was infamous for about two years for being the dude who showed up at every show, <laughs> um, and I, I was I was actually pretty proud of that. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, life, jobs. I had I had a cushy job. Yeah, I you know. So if it was a if it was a Tuesday night and some band was playing at Liars Club, mm-hmm. and you know the show's not going to end till one thirty, you're going to get to bed at two thirty. You got to go to work. Yeah, uh, my job had a was so cushy that I could sh- roll in about ten thirty and be you know be perfectly fine. Yeah. Um. So that John. As you might imagine, that job did finally end. Right. And I got a real job where, you know, it, you actually have to show up. On yeah. Sort of 8 reason, reasonably, whatever, yeah. reasonably on time <laughs> and all that. So that's bloody difficult to, you know, go to bed at 2.30 and get to, you know, get up at 6 or 6.30 or something. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I mean, you know, people, people our age... You know, I have people saying, well, you know, we're not, we can't do that anymore. Anymore? I didn't want to do that when I was 25. <laughs> I wasn't looking to go out, you know, not on a weeknight. I mean, I did it occasionally because I had to, but I didn't, that wasn't my goal. Well, when I became, I, I had a realization. It, it kind of, it wasn't all at once, but I mentioned I have a 22-year-old daughter. Yep. And I'm an empty nester. Yeah. Like, and I have been for several years. Mm-hmm. I was, my ex and I divorced years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I had my daughter um, weekends and mm-hmm. during the week, and I in those days you sort of ha- I had a lot of time, mm-hmm. and so you know I would would once the band started rolling and I'd meet other musicians and they'd say hey I'm playing come see my show like okay right, I got the right. time I can do it I got the job that that allows me to do it I have the time to do it and so I did it and. When when you realize realize, hey, I'm an empty nester, you know, kids out kids yeah. out on her own, um, no responsibilities. She's not trying to kill her mother, which <laughs> happened frequently. Uh, so it allowed me the freedom to to do a lot of that, you know. And life changes, life you know, life gets complicated. You know, now I'm a homeowner and yeah. I'm a uh, married. You're legit. And, uh, um, <laughs> I was watching Old Brother Where Art Where Art Thou and Great movie. It is a great movie. We're I am bona fide. <laughs> <laughs> you are bona fide. He's bona fide. <laughs> so and um so now I'm bona fide. All right. But I'm I'm kid free. Yeah. But, so go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, so what's the next step? With with what with life and and the band and you know that's a good question. I've actually I want to sit down with 
my bandmates and figure out what the next step is. Do we want to keep playing sparsely attended bar shows in Chicago? Mm-hmm. Do we want to start doing the weekend warrior thing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know how far, you know, how far do you want to push it? Everybody's got lives, you know. Right. Uh, right. Julia has a job that, that takes up weekends. So if we're going to do mini tours, you know, you got to plan that out pretty far in advance. Right. So she can be on. Um, you know, we're writing songs, like I said earlier. So I think finish up some of those. Get off my ass and finish up some of those. Um, it's always the, the key. Yeah, it is. Um, I actually uh, have made it a made a conscious effort. It used to be, I'd walk in my door. Mm-hmm. First thing I would do is pick up my guitar. Yep. And play it. Now I walk in the door, and you know, that's the last thing I think about doing. Yeah, yeah. It's just because there's you know grass to cut, and right. oh it's oh it's garbage day. The garbage flip side go of being bona fide. Yeah, being bona fide. <laughs> I'm going to write a song called Being Bonafide. I think you should. I think that's – I'm looking um, for that. And then Soggy Bottom Boys. Yep. Um, so I don't know. I I don't think the, – the weird thing is I'll, I don't think I'll ever stop doing it mm-hmm. until I can't. Right, right. Uh, I hear it's, you. It's too – it's too important to me Yeah. to – to stop but how much how much energy can i put into it you know right because you get in what you get you know you get out what you put in right um like everything else so um i don't know it it's a we'll see keep you know keep plugging along um writing songs sing there's nothing better than when you go out on stage Mm -hmm. Even if it's like the floor of a little bar and you're in the corner mm-hmm. and the PA sucks so you yep. can't hear the vocals. and But you get like, there's like eight people in the audience, but you get like a four-person mosh pit. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. There is, there, in a in very real way, there is nothing more rewarding than that. Yeah. Um, because you connect, you know, you connect with people. You connect with, at some level... Mm-hmm. Um, you always hope that it's that you get that you punch them in the stomach the way you were punched in the stomach right. when you heard that that song on the radio and it took you to a place that um, you've never been. Right. So that's that's great, man. That sounds kind of it sounds kind of corny, but it's it's the truth. It is the truth. I, I'm I'm right there with you. Well, thank thanks for coming in, Gary. I, I I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. It was fun. Okay, so there you go. That's my interview with Gary. I uh, hope you found it enlightening. I certainly did, and uh, it was a good convo. I think it was uh, it was good to talk to somebody and kind of look in the eye and, and uh, you know get that uh, that dialogue going in a way that we don't normally have a chance. And by we, I mean he and I. Maybe you have the chance all the time. I don't, I, you know, I don't know what your situation is. But I don't have that chance to talk to Gary, and uh, I made him come over here on a Sunday morning, and we talked for an hour, and uh, totally worth it. And uh, I hope it was good for him, too, because it was good for me. Anyway, uh, I'll be back in two weeks 
with another fabulous and exciting and entertaining interview. And uh, we'll just see what happens then. I'm not going to announce anything in advance because it's much more exciting to just find out day of. So two weeks from now, uh, I don't know what that date is, but uh, whenever you're hearing this, uh, if you go forward two weeks on your calendar, there will be a show available whenever you're hearing this. Anyway, that's it. Have a good day. Take care. Mm-hmm.